Okay, so we're going to jump into a new sermon series, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, when Todd was going through his sermon series this summer, he talked about our identity in God and our identity in Christ, uh, essentially answering the question, who am I? What is my identity? Where do I find my identity? There's a lot of things in our culture right now that are trying to basically tell us who we are or give us an identity. Um, but God said that we have our identity in Him. And as we read through the New Testament, a couple things stand out is, first off, when we follow Christ, we are new creations. Now, when we follow Christ, we are in Christ, and that uh, he says that we're born again. And so there's a lot of identity language that's within the New Testament, because that's incredibly important, not only about how we see ourselves and who we are, but then in our relationship with him. And so as we become new creations in Christ and we're born again, um, this new identity comes with benefits. And one of these benefits is that the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about is one of his favorite topics that he talks about within the New Testament, that the kingdom of God is now inside of me. And that the kingdom of God is, is in me and it's working and, it, and it's growing and it's changing me. And that at the same time, the kingdom of God will bear fruit in my life. And so he says, when I become born again, the kingdom of God is inside of me, changing me. And this kingdom that is now present within me, his Holy Spirit, it bears fruit and, and things change. And, and, and I become, again, this new creation and, and, and I start to change. And so we call this the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? And so Paul talks about this in Galatians, and uh, here's just a simple, uh, I guess, uh, fruit juice breakdown of it all, <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit, in that these are the, the fruits of the Spirit that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that this is the fruit of the Spirit within inside of me. These are the qualities that God produces in me, and we call this the fruit of the Spirit. And so again, this is something that God does, but at the same time, if you look at these fruit juice lists, these are all things that I think that most of us would like to grow in as well. I would like to grow in peace. I would like to grow in kindness and faithfulness, all of these things. I think these are all things that we would like to aspire to as well. And so the fruit of the Spirit is also something that I think these are qualities that most of us aspire to. And so what I see end up happening in our relationship with God is that you and God work in tandem to produce and grow the fruit in your life that this is what he produces in me, but these are also things that I want. And so we get to work in tandem with God uh, to grow these things, to grow this fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so when we're talking about growing in tandem with God and that uh, he's doing something in me and, and at the same time I have free will and I also want to do these things, um, that we call this relationship uh, discipleship. And so discipleship is that I'm a student and that Jesus is the teacher. 
And when you read the New Testament, one of the things that I think a lot of people do is they gloss over this word and they might make it to mean something other than it is. But Jesus went around inviting people to come and follow him. And one of his favorite invitations was come and follow me. And he was essentially, as a Jewish rabbi, he was inviting people to follow him because that's what rabbis did. And then he is the teacher and they are the students. And so that invitation continues to go out to us each and every day. When we read the New Testament and he says, follow me, that invitation is still as valid as it was then as it is now, right? And so when we look at the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations. He does not say, go and teach them facts about me, but go and make disciples. And so discipleship is this key relationship that we have with him. And that the fruit of the Spirit not only grows in us, but it's also something that we want. And it's also something that we cultivate um, our, in, within our own life. And so when I think about discipleship, one of the key aspects of, of it all is that it's relationship. Or it's relational. And that God wants a relationship with us. He's sitting with the students. He spends time with the students. He, he walks with them. They walk with him. And so that same thing still happens to this day. That God wants a relationship with us to grow with us. And, and much of our growth comes out of a relationship with him. Not just learning about him, who he was, facts about him. But that we can actually have a genuine, meaningful relationship with him. So, um, discipleship being the goal... We want to devote our time to God in this way. And, and I think, you know, a lot of this that I'm talking about in terms of discipleship and the next slide here, I want to kind of just like preempt us for the series because I think that it's important that we kind of get this right in, in that God is going to grow these fruits in us, but we also still have a part to play in all of this. And so discipleship, following him, that he's the teacher and we're the student, and also the way in which we spend our time. How, how are we devoting our time if you spend any time at our church, this is something that I use on a regular basis to talk about how it is that we use our time. And we call this the relational triangle or the way that we use our time and our talents and that we want to use our time uh, in part to have an up relationship. And that's with the Father, that we spend time with him. I want to make sure that I use some of my time to connect with him, to hear from him, to read scripture, to pray, to connect directly with him. And then we also have this in aspect, which means how do we spend time with one another? Because following Christ is not something that we do just by ourselves. Uh, God creates the church, a group of people that we get to follow him with, brothers and sisters, that we get to learn from one another, that we get to learn. I mean, how are we going to learn patience? I mean, I think learning patience is done best around other people because we need patience to deal with one another right? Um, how about the out in terms of what is our mission? And so as we spend time with the Father, we realize that God loves all people. And so then how is God using you to accomplish the, his mission and then the mission that he's called you to? So this idea of how we break up our time, very practical, very simple. How am I spending time with the Father? How do I interact with my church family? And then what is my mission uh, within the world that God has placed me in. So each day, uh, hopefully we wake up and choose to follow him. And uh, again, Jesus is calling us into this relationship of discipleship. And from all of that, we will bear fruit. 
So we're going to look at our key text uh, for today, which is Galatians 5, 16 through 26. This is where the Apostle Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And this is Paul speaking. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So again, he sees this juxtaposition of what it looks like to basically live by our sinful nature or sinful desires, which is quite a list. And then what does it look like to have the Holy Spirit control our lives and what kinds of fruit does that produce within us? So he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And the Holy Spirit, if, if you don't know who that is, is the third person of the Trinity. And the way I like to describe it is that uh, the Holy Spirit is God active among us. He's God within us. He's God working around us. And so we're going to be looking at what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. Uh, the first one, which is, is love. And so what do we mean by love? What is the biblical idea of love? Because we live in a cold, we talk about love all the time. We love all sorts of things. I've talked about this before, that the commercial that cracks me up the most when it says that love, does Subaru create love or does love create a Subaru? I'm not sure what it is. It always cracks me up. Like, how does love create a car? I just don't totally get it. So love all the time, right? Love is everywhere. We love everything. And, and it's really used a lot for good reason. It's a really good thing. I think in terms of biblical love, I want to kind of juxtapose two different things. First off, I know that one of the things that our culture is obsessed with is romantic love. When we think about love, uh, it often has to do with romance, uh, you know, weddings, all these people connecting in love. One of the things I'm always talking to my wife about is almost every movie we watch, I always say, oh my gosh, it's another love story. No matter what movie it is, it could be like Terminator, it could be something else, there's just a love story. And my wife often says back to me, honey, life is a love story, but it still is frustrating to me. It's always love stories. But I know that we are, we are obsessed with, with romantic love. 
So when we think about love, this is often what we think about, and this is very picturesque of what we, we would say. But we, anyone in here who has been in a long-term marriage knows something about the wedding. When you go to the wedding, you're loving it. You're excited. You're like, I'm looking forward to some great free food. What a cute kiss. But in the back of your mind, you always know that this is just the beginning of something that is very challenging. Very. You're like, she looks beautiful, he looks great, everyone's, it's as picturesque as it could be, right? But we all know that it's very challenging. So this is really just one aspect of love. And it might be one of the more simpler ones, to be honest, because we feel it, we love it, everyone's there, right? But when I think of, like, biblical love, what what are we actually talking about in that I would probably say biblical love looks a lot more like this. And it's not... It's romantic in a sense, but I would say that God's love, I would describe, describe it much more as like devotion, being devoted, like undeniably devoted. So when we, when we look at this couple, right, they're not holding hands, they're not kissing. These two have been through so much together. They've had wonderful romantic nights and they've had nights where they've gone to bed in different rooms. They've come into finances and they've lost finances. They've seen the birth of children. They've probably seen the death of loved ones. They've accomplished some of their dreams and aspirations and they've lost a lot of them. And yet they're still together. They've gone through years of their marriage where they didn't think they were going to make it, and yet they've held tough. So, although a wedding hopefully leads to this, right? This is not a wedding. This is like they are, they are devoted to each other. Okay? So, because when we're talking about love, I think it's just important for us to say, what are we actually talking about? Because love can be... And if you've been married for any length of time, you know love as a feeling can be fleeting. But love as a commitment through thick and thin, right? So a couple of aspects of God's love and devotion that I want to kind of look at today is that first off, uh, when we're talking about love, the most important thing is that I know that I am loved and that I experience this love. I need to know that I'm loved. You need to know that you're loved by God. That is incredibly important. That is square one. And that ultimately after that, then God's love for me overflows into others. I can't give away something that I don't possess. And so I need to know that I'm loved. And not only do I need to know that I'm loved and that that's factual, but I need to experience God's love within me, like a tangible experience. So we read this earlier, uh, 1 John um, for uh, 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So essentially the Apostle John is kind of breaking it down for us in that we love because he first loved us. And then out of this overflow, out of our hearts for the love that we have experienced, then we are able to love other people. Um, we love because he first loved us. And that this is the starting point for the fruit of love in our lives. I know that I don't love people because I'm a good person. I don't. I love people because I have experienced the tangible love of God in my life. When I was, went back to school to get a degree to become a therapist... One of the questions they always ask you, who are you going to work with? Who's going to be your clientele? Who do, you, who do you want to do therapy with? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, really, I'm just, like, lost. And then a teacher came in, and her name, her name is Kim McKinney, and she works with the county. And all she does is work with people who have substance abuse disorder or what we would call drug addicts. And she came in, and she started talking about this group of people. And it was just right then in my mind, I'm like, this is who I want to work with. I want to spend time with people who have substance abuse disorder. And I'm not doing that because I'm like some, you know, good, virtuous person. I am doing that because I know that that's where God met me when I first started following Christ. That I was living in Tiger Field, taking acid all the time, getting drunk every day and going to Whiskey Town Lake. I mean, that was my goal, to be drunk every day and go to the lake every single day. Like, really high, lofty goals out of high school. And that's where I met Christ. So when that opportunity comes up, I'm like, wow. And that's where God met me. I mean, literally living in a laundry room for, I think, 50 bucks a month is where God met me. And I experienced a tangible moment with him. And he took me out of that. I love because I know that I have first been loved. Or I think about Joe, who does our laundry outreach, right? He does a laundry outreach to folks here in town. Goes out once a month, and he puts quarters in laundry machines. Joe's not doing that because he's some fantastic person, although we might all think he's fantastic. Why does he do that? Because at one point in time, he knew the cost of doing his laundry on the streets. He loves because he experienced that love. Okay? So... There is this difference between knowing the facts and experiencing his love in that there are some facts that are really important for us about Jesus. That Jesus really was a historical person. He really walked on the face of the earth. There's really the vast majority of all historians would say there's this guy named Jesus that actually walked the earth. He did die on a cross. There are some extra biblical accounts of there was a man named Jesus who died on the cross. So it's not just in the Bible. It's historical. Uh, Jesus said in the Bible that he was dying on the cross for you and for me. And all three of these things are facts. Whether you believe any of this really is the question, but, but knowing the facts is a small portion of feeling loved. My, Linda is my wife. That is a fact. But I don't feel especially loved when I know the facts about our marriage. 
Like if I'm wrestling, not feeling loved by Linda, she doesn't come up to me and say, I'm your wife. That's a fact. That's not going to be especially helpful for me when I'm feeling like sad or when I'm feeling unloved. So there's a difference between knowing the facts about a thing, like, yes, you're my wife, but that's not really helping me right now. I feel loved when I see and experience tangible acts of her devotion to me, when I feel her presence, when I see her doing something especially that's important to me. And my assumption is we all want to feel loved by God, tangibly loved. I don't think there's anyone in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, that would say, like, the thing I want to get out of church today is not feeling loved by God. I think we would all love to walk out of these doors today and say, I truly, not only do I know, but I feel loved by God. And I think that that's a realistic desire and expectation from someone who's called us into a relationship with him, discipleship relationship. This is a relational thing. This isn't just a head knowledge relationship any more than my relationship with my wife is just about us being legally married. If a fruit of the Spirit is love, I should feel God's love. And then that love, now here's the thing. When we talk about like, what's your mission? What do you want to do? What do you feel like God's called you into? Man, if you real, really feel the tangible love of God, it's, it's overwhelming enough that the question of what do you want to do with it is kind of like a mute question because it's just like, I need to give this away. So if a fruit of the Spirit is love, I should feel God's love. Then that just overflows out of me, and it will spill out onto those all around me. Again, love is relational, this idea of like, I need to spend time with him. It's not just him, right? We are in a relationship, he and I. And so he gives me this love, and at the same time, I nurture this, and I nurture this relationship. One of the things I think is a funny experience is that when Linda and I were first married, (laughs) she says, this is what I want. Like, okay, what do you want? She says, I want to go out on a date night every week. And in my mind, I pictured us getting dressed up every week. And I'm like, I'm going to get dressed up. And I'm like, and I don't know if I told her this or what. I'm sorry, honey. Um, We will end up like the old couple there. Uh, Is that I'm like, that's so dumb. Sorry, Linda. Um, Because I had this idea we're going to get dressed up. I just wanted, like, clearly, I am a real minister, and I'm in shorts and flip-flops, so my idea of, like, keeping it, you know, easy is uh, plain to everyone. I'm like, oh. But what she wanted was just to spend time with me every week, just to get together. We can go out for a taco burrito, something simple. I had a different expectation. So we have done that, although at this point in time, being married 23 years, maybe not every week, but we do intentional things to grow our relationship. We need to spend time together. We need to get away and not have all the responsibilities that we have going on. We, we need to connect. Here recently, a friend of mine um, who has been uh, some, he's not necessarily said that they were Christian, um, had probably their most meaningful experience with God ever. 
went to uh, hang out with a group of people. They had a time of prayer. Uh, the individual that was saying, you know, like, who wants to come forward for prayer? Like a real prophetic moment. They said something, and this individual was like, how did, how did they know that I was thinking that? That's so weird. Went forward, got prayer, uh, got prayed for, and, and felt warm. Just, I felt, he, this person said, I felt warmth all throughout my body. I've never felt like this in my life. Stood up and started hugging other people that were around them and telling them, like, you're, you're loved. You're, you're so loved. Because this individual felt just overwhelming love inside of them. And so knowing this and having spent enough time following Christ at this point in time, I know that there are times where God's overwhelming love just, just hits us. And so I asked this person, I said, well, how are you nurturing this gift that God has given you? I said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, what about if you just read one chapter of Scripture every day? Just start there. It's what I do. Very simple. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. I just read one chapter every day. And on the one hand, you're like, that's so simple. And, but at the same time, doing it every day, why does it need to be overwhelming, right? Just keeping it simple. Just doing an intent, having coffee with my wife. So intentionally spending time with God. So what we're going to do here with the rest of the time is we're going to do a little bit of an exercise, and we're probably going to do it for the remainder of the time that we're in this series. Uh, we are going to do a question for Jesus exercise. Not going to, again, this is very simple. It doesn't need to be um, some huge thing. Again, it's very simple. If you do not want to participate, you do not have to participate. And I'll say that again in a little bit. Well, here in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to share a question on the screen. I'm going to go to the next slide, and there's just going to be a very simple question on the screen. What we're going to do is we're going to pause and ask Jesus this question that is on, on the screen. And so here in each of the pews, um, hopefully we tried to get enough, there are three by five cards. There should be a pencil right here that the Seventh-day Adventists have provided for us. And so then these are the tools of the trade. Um, and so if you want to grab a pencil or you want to buy, get a 3 by 5 card, um, that's part of the exercise there. <clears throat> Very simple. So I'm going to put the question up on the screen. We're just going to pause and you are going to ask the question of Jesus. And then you're going to write down what you feel like Jesus has said to you. Now, if you're one of those people that you don't feel like you hear from Jesus regularly, just as practice. Again, one of the things I'm a huge fan of is just practicing. We're not going to get better at anything if we don't practice. So if you practice hearing the voice of the Lord or hearing the voice of Jesus, more than likely you will get better at it. So if you don't feel like you hear Jesus regularly, you just write down the first thought or feeling that you have. The question will be nice. <laughs> You're like, what if I have a bad thought? <laughs> write down the next thought <laughs> or feeling. <laughs> I'm horrible at this. Right, well, go to the next one. Then this is what we're going to do. We're going to pass the cards up to me, and then I'm going to read some of them. Why is this step important? This step is important, one, because what God says to you 
more often than not, is not just for you, it's for us. That our faith is lived out in community. One, God is Trinity, and that God exists within community within himself. God then creates a being, or beings, which are human beings, which are communal. And then when Jesus, how many people does Jesus roll around with? He has 12 disciples. When he leaves, he creates what? The church. We are meant to follow Christ together. So what God speaks to you, one, is very much for you, but then it's also for us as well. Again, if you do not want to participate, you do not have to, and there's no judgment whatsoever. You can be like, whatever, I don't want to do this. Sounds lame. That's fine. Uh, it's totally up to you. Okay, so I'm going to put the question up on the screen. We're probably going to take about a minute at most. You're just going to sit momentarily, ask Jesus the question, then you write down what it is that you feel like uh, he gives you as an answer. Okay, about 15 more seconds. Okay. Why don't we, if you don't want to pass your cards in, that's perfectly fine. Um, I, I won't know who it is anyways by the end. So Todd, you want to help me collect these? If you guys want to pass them into the center. Awesome. Good. Good, thank you. Breaking card. <laughs> All right, let me see this. 
All right. Let's see what Jesus makes Jesus smile about us. Um, the way you engage with the outdoors, nature, and see me there. That's cool, huh? I think you really you have a really unique sense of humor that is not offensive to others. My faith in you. Mm. Yes, sir. Which of these sound like Jesus to me? Well, I haven't seen any that don't don't sound like Jesus. I mean, I have a unique sense of humor that is sometimes offensive to others, so I think that that one certainly sounds like Jesus. <laughs> I smile when you get excited over small things. Beauty. I create a new friends that I put into your path. Absolutely. What makes, uh, what about me makes you smile? My simple trust. Mm. What makes, uh, what about me makes you smile? Your tenacity to never give up. You always pursue me. My kingdom in you and around you. My determination. My joy and passion for life. Your laughter and enthusiasm. Returning to me when you fall down. You get back up again and again and keep trying. Your sincere desire to know me and spend time with me and when you talk to me and listen for me to speak. When you show love and kindness to other people. When you surrender. Don't know. Perfectly acceptable. My imagination and delight in the world around me, the birds, the trees, my love and wonder of the natural world. You always try to see the beauty in everything, even the ordinary. You enjoy making people feel special through love and acts of kindness. When you step up and step in, I love your silly, artsy, craftsy joy. I love your goofy, happy dance and your loud laugh. I like your singing voice. What makes Jesus smile over this person is their heart. Your thoughtfulness. Your silly nature and your genuine heart. Your hunger for more and your desire for what is best. Faith, devotion, growth, and change. The thing that makes me smile about you is your big heart and your willingness to always be there for those in need. My love and ability to connect with children. You are not content to know about me. You want to know me. What makes you smile? My sense of humor. Uh, my loyalty towards others and devotion. 
because I'm learning how you want me to do your work through me. Jesus, what about me? Makes you smile the smile when you get excited over small things, beauty and create. Oh, I already read that one. How was that? Is that an interesting exercise for you guys? You guys like that? What's that? How did you see it differently? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, what about Jesus makes you smile? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was meant to be what about you makes him smile. Yeah. That's all right. Well, right, right, right. Well, and the reason one is... Um, I think that in some of the answers were kind of geared towards this. Um, my, my, like, devotion, doing the right thing, which is all good. That's all part in part of, like, the out part of the triangle. But this really, like, the question, and I, I made this question, what about me makes you smile? It's, it's just like what a kid might ask their parent. It's not legalistic in any way, shape, or form. It's just about me personally. It's not maybe it's what I'm doing, right? Like all of us as kids, we all did funny dances in front of our parents. Watch me. All right, but not doing anything is about who I am as an individual. He created you, he created me. And so it's to to know him and what about me makes you smile. Some quality in me. So you guys like that exercise? Well, all the people that liked it will say yes. <laughs> most, most of the people that don't, they're not going to be like, no, I hated that. It's horrible. You can tell me. Tell Todd afterwards. Todd, raise your hand. Todd, raise your hand for us. Okay. If you have any complaints about the, that question for Jesus, talk to Todd afterwards. He wants to hear that. But I think, again, we love because we're first loved by him. I, in all honesty, for those when you experience God's love, really going out and sharing it is not something that we have to be like, go share God's love. Because it's so overwhelming that I really, it's like second nature, to be honest. And that in reality, God, again, grace, this idea of grace, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. He just loves you. And until you really feel the love of God, um, you just stay in that place. And you can just ask these questions. Jesus, what about me makes you smile? You know? Like, sincerely. I need to know your tangible love. Reveal your love to me. All of these things. And then from that place, we go out and love others. All right, we're going to have communion. And then after communion, it's like... Knowing that you're loved by God is something that you wrestled with. We, we will have time to pray for one another afterwards, ministry time, uh, laying, hands on, laying hands on you, praying for you. We do communion each week. Um, this is the, when Jesus, the last night he was uh, on earth, he had what is called the Last Supper where he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, take this, this is my body broken for you in that... Because of sin, our bodies are broken. And Jesus came down with a full and complete body. It was without sin. But he allowed his body to be broken uh, so that uh, we could be a part of him and that our bodies uh, would find completeness in him.
And so he took the bread and broke it for us, his body. The wine represents his blood, which is poured out for our sins, uh, for our past, our present, and our future sins, and that this is the sign of the covenant. We're meant to do this regularly. We're meant to take his body and our blood, his blood, and it is supposed to go into us. He is a part of us. The kingdom of God is in us. Jesus is within us. We are new creations. So the way that we do it is that if you are a follower of Christ or if you would like to start following Christ today, if you would like to say yes to Jesus and start following him, or if you are a believer in Christ, you're welcome to come down and be a part of the communion table. What we do is you come down the center aisle, you come and you grab a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, you hold on to the communion elements as you go around the side of the pews like this so we everyone can flow down, and then we'll all take communion together. So if you would like to take communion, please come on down. Jesus, thank you for just who you are, your goodness in our lives. Thank you for smiling on us, for knowing us each by name, and just loving things about us just because you love us. 
Thank you for your devotion to us. Thank you for coming to the world you created, for dying on the cross for us, that we can be new creations in you. Help us to know just how much you love us. Let's partake. Well, why don't we stand? If you wrestle with the love of God and knowing that you're loved, knowing that he loves you unconditionally, knowing that he wants a relationship with you, that it goes just above and beyond some contract or facts, but that he truly loves all sorts of special things about you. We'd love to pray for you at the end of service. A couple folks will be up here, lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, if not, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over us and we can go and enjoy the rest of our day. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift of the church, for our brothers and sisters to be able to walk with. Lord, we ask for your blessing to be upon us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us, that you would empower us, that you would speak to us, you would envision us. Speak to us about who we are in you and, and who you are. Help us to trust you. Help us to say yes to you. Help us to experience your love. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer, please come on up.